Well, good morning and welcome to Online Church, and we're so excited that you're joining us today. We have prayed over this worship experience and are very prayerful in our preparation for it and just just want you to know we love you and we're so glad you're a part. And I would ask you just right now, if you will, if this church online ministers to you and helps you grow spiritually, to just take a moment and share it with people who you know it will help. And let's just let the Word of God get out into everybody's life and just believe God to do something uh, significant with His Word this morning. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And if you're new with us, thank you so much for being a part here at Summit Church. We are all about relationship. We're about connection because we believe that's what the kingdom of God is about. We believe that's how Jesus did ministry. We believe that's how discipleship is done. And we want to have relationship with you. And so we would love to be able to serve you in that way and help you in that way. And the way you can do that, you can see on the screen there how you can connect with us. And if you'll do that, a pastor and leader will be in touch with you and connect with you and uh, help you along your next steps on your spiritual journey. And and so I just encourage you, thank you again for being a part, but I just encourage you to take steps into your relationship with God. Let us help you with that. Let us be in relationship with you. It'll also help you know what's going on with Summit Church and how you can be connected and how you can be a part. I know we all want to be a part. We all want to belong to something great and what God's doing, and and we want to help you do that. So thank you again for being a part. We're continuing our summer series, as you may or may not know, and I'm not going to review anything from last week right now uh, because we'll just ask you to go back and and listen, uh, watch or listen to last week's uh, worship experience. Um, But... uh, I'm not going to review all that, but I will say we in the summer, here's what we do. We have a, um, a time where we, we kind of go off topic. We, we, we normally teach and preach topically throughout the year, but in the summer we just have decided we're just kind of kind of go to school. So for the last few years, we've just taken a book or books of the Bible and just over the summer we're just preaching, teaching out of that particular or those particular books. This year we have chosen the book Nehemiah. And the reason we chose it is not simply because it is just a a good book to read or because of the leadership lessons you can learn out of it or because of the spiritual growth opportunities or because of the uh, figuring out how the formulas and strategies for becoming great or doing something great or getting buy-in. All these are great things that you can learn from the book of Nehemiah. But we really want to talk about Nehemiah because we believe it relates to where we are. Last week, you should go back and listen to it because we set the stage and we talked about the cultural context of the book, and you need to have that foundation for, for the rest of the, the series. This series is going to go throughout the summer with a couple of interruptions, but for the most part, it'll just be the series of Nehemiah. And last week, we talked about the overarching concept of what we're dealing with from the book of Nehemiah, and that is repent, rebuild, and restore. The whole book is about that, really, is that we have to acknowledge where things may have gone awry with us, but then also we have to to, um, rebuild. You know, there was something that was built, our culture, our society, something that was built, the church, the way that God intended for it to operate and function, and in many ways, the walls have been broken down, and the gates have been burned just like the city of Jerusalem when the exile to, to Babylon. And we, we look at that and we see that if God can use Nehemiah to rebuild that city, he can use us to rebuild his purpose, his message, his culture into the earth today. Now we didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out of this overnight, but it's time for the church to say, hey, look, we're not accepting this rejection of God and this pushing out of morality and this and this in, injustice and hatred and division that goes on we're not accepting it as normal we're not calling new normal we're saying God has purpose he has intention and we want to be right in the middle of it so that's what we're really trying to do we're trying to repent of those things that need to change in us 
trying to rebuild the purpose and presence and power of God into the into our cities and our states and our worlds and and we're trying to restore things that have been destroyed bring them back to fervency bring them back refurbish them into their original state we really believe that God wants to use us to do that with family and marriage and relationships and church and community and outreach and global initiatives and all that God has called us to do all for the purpose of rebuilding and restoring and so today I want to take a text out of Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4 and I'm going to preach and teach the concept or the question really what is it you want what is it you want So our text is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, and I'm reading from the New International Version. It'll go up on your screen, so read along with me if you will. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Father, we just thank you for your word today and we just ask you in the name of Jesus to give us insight, to give us understanding and to walk in in every aspect that you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we, we look at the first and second uh, chapters of Nehemiah, and today, um, last week, we, we, we taught out of chapter 1, and this week we're going to take the first portion of chapter 2, and I'm taking my text from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. And so what you see is Nehemiah is, he is not a prophet, he is not a priest, he's just a secular, very influential man. Uh, in the in the years that had gone before, Israel had disobeyed God. They become idolatrous. They begin to do their own thing. They were the personification of the proverb that says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. God had warned them numerous times, if you'll, if you'll keep my covenant, if you'll be in relationship with me, if you won't become idolatrous, if you won't worship other gods or other things, if you won't try to be like the spirit of this age or like the nations around you, if you'll just keep that pure focus and pure faith towards me, then I will prosper you and I will bless you and I will make you a prominent nation among the nations. And uh, But the other side of that coin is if... You decide that you don't want to follow me anymore and you want to follow uh, idols and you want to partake of the spirit of this age and you want to be like the nations around you and you want to rebel against me or push me out of your culture or push me out of your society, then I will judge that action and by doing so I will allow other nations to come down and overtake you. And that's exactly what happened. The Babylonians uh, came and overthrew Jerusalem, overthrew Israel, and you know just tore the place apart and just exiled the people of Israel. And they they uh, took them into all different parts of the the Babylonian kingdom. And then in the process of time, the Medes and the Persians then overthrew Babylon, and they were in control. Now Nehemiah, he he was. Uh, uh, one of the exiles. He had been taken from his nation. He had been taken from Israel. Israel, Jerusalem was his home. He, he, he loved it. He loved God. He was a holy man, but he was also an influential man. And we talked about last week, and I believe it's just as worth noting right now, is that he was not a priest. He was not a prophet. In other words, he was not an occupational minister. He was not someone who did this for a living. But he was a person who could be used by the hand of God, which is all of us if we're in the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible tells us that we're all called to do ministry. We're 
all called to be a person who manifests the purpose, presence, and power of God in our everyday lives, in our circle of influence. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was asked to do. Nehemiah was the, the chief of staff, basically, for King Artaxerxes. And he had a very close and important relationship with him. He had major influence with this king of the entire kingdom. And uh, he, he had... He had uh, some of his brothers that came from Jerusalem and were sharing some things with him. He hadn't been back in many, many years. And they came to him and they, they told him, he asked, how's it going in the homeland? How's it going in Jerusalem? And they gave him some very sad news. They said, it's torn up. Nehemiah, it's, 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 it's devastated. There are people there. There are exiles that have been allowed by King Artaxerxes to go back to their homeland, but the truth is there's no homeland there. They're unsafe. Our culture's been destroyed. Our, our city has been destroyed. The walls are broken down, and the gates are burned. And this was a way of saying it's completely and utterly devastated. Nehemiah, we know what happens is he, he falls down on his knees. He begins to weep. He begins to cry. He begins to call out to God. And from that moment, he began to pray and fast over Jerusalem. Now, this was not a priest. This was not a prophet. This was just a man of God who worked in a secular position, and he was highly influential. The thing that was different about Nehemiah than some, though, is that he was willing to use his influence. He was willing to use his position to advance the kingdom of God. But it was a precarious situation, and he had to use wisdom to do it. So what we find in this passage of Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, the king said to me, what is it you want? So what had happened is he was in the, the king's service, and he was handing him over his wine. That was his job. He was, he was the... Uh, basically the chief of staff was what we would call him, but he was what you might call the wine taster, the person who was closest to the king. He was trusted, so he would test the food. He would test the wine. He brought a drink to his king, and his countenance was sad. He was distraught. He was depressed. He was discouraged. And the truth is, he, he was just defeated by everything that he had heard. And the king noticed it, and the king asked him, what, what is wrong with you? You're not sick, but you're definitely sad, and you're not normally like this. I've never, ever seen you like this. This seems like a broken heart to me. And, and so Nehemiah then shares with the king, how, how could I not be sad? Uh, my homeland is destroyed and, 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 has, been, and has been devastated. I, I cannot stand here in the opulence of this palace and be okay that I have loved ones broken down and defeated. And I just want to stop here because I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say it's time that we are moved with compassion for things to change in the context of our culture and society, not listen, not because we demand it or because we're legalistic or because there's a list of rules that comes with our religion. No, no, but because there are people being broken by the brokenness of our culture. There are people being broken by the, the burnt down walls and the lawlessness spirit and the immorality that's running rampant and the perversion that is overtaking lives. And, and, and we need to understand that God loves people. God loves people, even people who are sinful, as all of us can attest. And, and, and I just want you to know that when we cry, we don't cry because somebody's not following the rules. We cry because hearts are broken and lives need to be changed and people are being devastated and their minds are being warped and and it's time for us to say how can we sit here in the comfort of our lives spiritually and not be torn apart and saddened by what's happening outside the walls of this church what's happening outside the context of my precious christian home what's happening outside the context of my beautiful community it's time that we got that heart that Nehemiah had. And, and it was in that context and in that moment 
that the king, King Artaxerxes, looked at Nehemiah and he takes, he says what we see as our text today. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, he says, The king said to me, What is it you want? What is it you want? And that's what I want to talk about today. What is it you want? What is it we want as believers? as Christians, as a pastor, as leaders, as people who follow Christ, what is it you want? Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a daunting question. Uh, many of you may or may not know, I, I have a leadership company that I, we help individuals and businesses and, and, um, and uh, ministries, and we consult with different people just to help add value to people and draw out their potential. It's just a passion of my heart. It's something that we love to do. And get the opportunity to do it sometimes. And I just love doing it. But one of the things that we ask when we're in that context with someone who may be stuck and can't really figure out what the next steps are for their organization, we just ask one simple question. What do you want? Now, that sounds like a simple question on its face. It sounds like I could just say, well, what I want is to succeed. But that's not the way the question is asked. It's not a general question of what's the overarching thing you want. It's a specific question. What is it you want? And as believers, we know that what we want is always filtered through the will of God. I have read the scripture in Isaiah where it says God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. I, I just want you to know that the way I think about life is I, I want to know what God's will is, and that's what I want. I want God's will for me. But that can be very specific. It's not just a general idea of, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. No, it's, God, what do you want specifically for me? And I want that. Jesus taught us this principle. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, God, I know you have a purpose that's perfectly planned for me in the context of heaven. Now manifest it in my life on this earth. And the question for us as believers today, the question for us, those of us who really believe it's time to repent, rebuild, and restore, it's important for us to answer this question. What do you want? What do you want? We know we don't want a continuation of wrong ideologies and immoralities and lawlessness to be pervasive in our culture. We know that. We know we don't want people to be divided and racism to, to, to uh, be rampant. We know that we, we want empathy to reign and compassion to be available. We know that we don't want this, this violent hatred that seems to be so pervasive in our culture where you can't even disagree with somebody without hating them. We, we know we don't want that. We know that there is a level of conscience and a level of righteousness and a level of good and, and evil that needs to become clear again. But what do we want? What do we want? Are we okay with how it is? Have we allowed this to become the norm for us? Have we just accepted that this is the way it's going to be? I, I think Janae and I were talking last night, my wife Janae, we were talking and we were just conversing back and forth about, you know, just just how things are and how we've kind of accepted them. And I said, when's the last time you've been shocked? You know, if we were to rewind back to like 19, even 1970, and, and then we were to take someone from the 50s, 60s, or 70s, lift them up, bring them into a modern-day culture, set them down without any context of being alive during the in-between time, they would be shocked at the things they're seeing right now. They would be absolutely nonplussed. Like, how has this happened? How have we gone from there to here? What is going on? And why is, why is the church not shocked? and doing something spiritual about it. So the question is, do we know how to answer that question? The first thing I want you to take from this passage of Scripture and this message today, this question, what, what Nehemiah wanted was clear, and he was confident about it. 
He'd been focused on it. He'd been praying about it. He'd been thinking it through. And when the opportunity arose, he was ready to answer that question. Here's what I mean by that. Do we know what we want? Has our life become so busy or has our life become so full of stuff or has our life become so much about us instead of about the kingdom and power and presence of God? And I'm talking to all of us here. Has our life become so much about that that we're not even sure what we want spiritually anymore? We're not sure if, we, if there is anything spiritual we want. Have we, have we rocked ourselves to sleep to thinking that where we're at spiritually is okay and it's fine and we're doing just good? We're doing good. Well, let me just tell you something. If you're not absolutely sold out and, and on fire for God, it's not good. If your kids aren't following you in following Christ, it's not good. If your marriages is strained and almost pulling apart, it's not good. If you have become comfortable with the way things have become in the context of our society and culture, it's not good because it's not biblical. And we need to wake up to the fact that we need to be revived and renewed and restored. And we need to rebuild the walls of righteousness and holiness and justice and peace and integrity and honesty in our culture again. So, so, so Nehemiah knew. He knew what he wanted. He had been preparing for it. He had been praying for it. And, and so the question is, do we know what we want? If God was to ask us the question right now, what do you want? If God came into your home right now, pointed his finger at you and say, what is it? you want would you be fully prepared to answer that question would you have thought about it would you have would you, do you know in your heart of hearts what you want to see happen do we know what we want do we know what is needed right now how do we find out how do we figure out what we should ask for if we can ask for anything if we can ask god for anything how do we know what to ask? I, I got to admit that, to be honest, if, if God showed up to me right now and he said, um, what do you want, Dave? Anything, whatever you want, I'll give you anything. I have to believe that in my heart there would probably be some selfish self-interest. I, I would probably say something like, God, give us harmony, or I would say something like, God, you know, help me to, you know, help the church to grow, or God, help me to be successful, or, you know, and, I, and it would be with the heart of, I want to do well. It would be with the heart of, I want to build your kingdom, but there would be some semblance, because we're just built this way sometimes, and we're sometimes carnal, that if I have the chance to get what I want, there might be a little bit of a selfish motivation there. But that's what has to change in us. I love the story of Solomon when he was about to become king. He was a young man and there were other sons of David that wanted to be king. But David had promised and God had promised that the lineage of David would come down through Solomon. And Solomon would be the next king and God would make a covenant with Solomon like he did with David. Not one of the other sons, but Solomon. And so even though there were other sons who wanted to do it, Solomon was the chosen son. And now Solomon was afraid. He was young. He didn't know what to do. He was scared. He didn't even really want to do it. But David on his deathbed said, Solomon, you can do this. Just do it. And, and, and in that process, Solomon took on that, that, that uh, desire. He took on that call. He took on that purpose that, that God had called him with and David had called him with. And he, he, his main purpose to begin was to rebuild the temple. Uh, and he was, or, or to, excuse me, to build the temple. That's why a lot of times you'll hear about the temple being called Solomon's Temple. Because Solomon's Temple is the, one, is the first temple built for God that wasn't a tent. And so he, he took David's architectural work. He took all the resources that David had put together. And he began the process of building the temple. And, and there came a time where... Where, where God came because, because Solomon brought an offering to God. I, 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 have this, 
I have this feeling that he was desperate. God, I need you to help me lead. God, I need you to help me know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know who to be here. I need some help. And he was desperate. So he brought offerings to God. And when you go back and read it in Chronicles, I mean, the offerings he brought were, I mean, innumerable. And just so many sacrifices that he made to God. And, and he got the trumpeters out there and they played their songs and he got the singers out there and they sang their songs and he himself was worshiping God and lifting up the name of God and it was so over it was so extra as they say it was so much more than what normally you would do it got God's attention he he went so far above and beyond what was normal he because he was desperate that God looked down on him and he said I see your heart son Ask me for whatever you want. Now, I don't find that anywhere else in the Bible, just that one place where he asked that question of Solomon. Whatever you want. Now, man, he could have asked for anything. Give me wealth. Give me riches. Give me fame. Give me fortune. Give me nations on top of nations. Give it to me. He could have asked for anything. God is the one who set the standard for what could be asked. Ask me anything, and he didn't even qualify it at all. He said, ask me anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon did something that was so phenomenal. He said, give me wisdom. God, I need wisdom. I need not just knowledge and not just understanding. I need to know what to do with the knowledge that we have. I need to know how to judge rightly between circumstances. I need to know how to lead, how to make judgments, how to move forward. I need to know how to properly apply knowledge and understanding. I need to know how to treat people well. I need to know how to lead people in mass. God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. But he said to Solomon, because you have asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all the wealth and the fame and the influence and all the things that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give it to you because you were so desperate and so wise to ask for wisdom. You know, I hope that that's how we are now in today's culture. You know, we, we have made up our mind as a, as a team here at Summit Church. Our staff team, our elder team, our serve team, all everybody who calls Summit Church home, we are all in. We want to intentionally make a difference in the city of Canyon, in the surrounding areas, in the panhandle, the region, and the world. We want to be everything God has called us to be. And so what we're asking for is we're asking God, give us wisdom. God, give us uh, uh, give us your will, your purpose, your design. Lord, we turn away from the things we've tried to turn your will into. We turn away from the things from our will. And we submit our will to your will because we want to do what you've called us to do. We're, we're crying out to God, God, use us. God, take our lives and use it. There was an old song they used to sing, if you can use Anything, Lord, you can use me. And so I may not be that big of a deal. And I may not have great influence everywhere. And I may have this issue or that issue. But God, I know you can use me. That's where we're at. And we're asking God to use Summit Church to make a difference in our community. Make a difference in our city. Make a difference in our world. And, and, and I believe God will do it if each one of us will decide to step up to that call. And instead of asking, God bless me with this, God bless me with that, God show up here, God show up there. And instead of that, just going to God and saying, God, give me you. What I need is more of you, more of your presence, more of your power, more of your word, more of your grace, more of your wisdom. And I know that if you'll give me that, all that other stuff, you'll take care of all that. I don't have to worry about those blessings. You'll take care of the blessings. Because you said if I'll seek you first, those things will follow me. So I, I right now decide I'm going to stop following those things and expecting you to bless it. I'm going to turn and follow you and expect those things to bless me. That, that, that is the, what God wants for us, and that is what we're praying as a church. The second thing I want you to take from this interaction between Nehemiah and Artaxerxes, between the time that Nehemiah found out about the devastation of the city until the time that the king asked him this question, was four months. So between chapter 1 and chapter 2, four months. 
four months. So this, what this means is Nehemiah prayed and fasted over this four-month period, and then he brought his request to the king. Now, I'm not suggesting that he fasted every day fully food, all food for four months. I'm just saying that there was a period of time where he wept, he got before God, he sought God's face, he cried out to God, he fasted, he, he denied himself, he, he, he leaned on God and he leaned off the world, he leaned away from the world, he leaned, he leaned into God. That's what he did for four months before he ever even broached the subject. He spent time cultivating and praying and seeking God. I think one of the things that we're having struggles with in the church is we're trying to deal with these cultural and societal issues with some kind of immediacy. We're trying to have some kind of quick fix. But we didn't get here quickly. We gradually got to where we are. And what we need to do is understand this is going to take some effort. This is going to take some true prayer. This is going to take fasting. In August, at the beginning of August, during this series, we're going to do a 21-day fast and prayer. And I'm telling you, it is going to be miraculous what happens in our lives and in the influence that we carry out into our city as a result of that. People's lives are going to be changed. People are going to get saved. They're going to get filled with the Spirit. They're going to get empowered by God. People are going to, to, to see miracles happen. God's going to open doors of opportunity. Influence is going to come to us. I'm telling you, if we will do what the Word of God says, it changes everything. I've seen it happen so many times in my own life where I just said, all right, God, I'm going to stop doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. And every time God shows up, because God is a promise keeper and He is not a man that can lie. He is our way maker. He is the one who goes before us. He splits the Red Seas. He sends manna out of heaven. He brings water from the rock. He is the one who will send the quail right down into the camp. He's the God who can break the bread and, and the fish and give it to thousands when it should only feed one. God is so capable of doing so many wonderful things if we will just connect with him and understand how he works. Our culture and society and the church in its condition today didn't get where we are overnight. And, and, and we won't change overnight. What we must be committed to is the long road of change. And we must be willing to follow him, to follow Jesus, no matter what, no matter how long it takes, no matter what it requires of us, we really have to get to the place. I mean, do we understand what it, what it really means to be a disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus? I mean, do, do we really understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus? I know we spend so much time talking about grace, and, so, and it's wonderful, and so much time talking about how you can't earn grace. You can't earn your salvation. It's true. You can't be a good person and go to heaven just because you were good. Because none of us are truly good. Our hearts are bad until we are saved and reborn. And, and let me just tell you, God wants to do that in every single life. God wants to do that in every single life. And we spend so much time that we forget that that scripture out of Galatians 2.20 that says, that says we are not saved by works lest any man should boast, but it's a gift of God. And we are saved through faith, uh, by grace through faith. This is absolute reality. We are saved. We come to Christ. We are regenerated, born again, because we believe He is who He says He is. We believe He did what He said He did. We believe He died on the cross, rose again from the, the dead, and He did this for us, and we confess Him as our Lord and Savior. That's how we get saved. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot. It's impossible. Because we're not good enough to get there. But there was one who was good enough. He was the righteousness of God in Christ. And he took on sin, went to the cross, was punished for it. And now he gives us that life if we'll believe on him. However, in that same passage of scripture, it says, although we don't do good works to be saved, we were saved to do good works. We were saved to fill the purpose of God. We were saved to follow the will of God. 
We were saved to actually live our lives with the covering of God because we're in the will of God to do the purpose of God. Do we understand what it really means to be a disciple? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says this, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, there's this action well, that God's just trying to steal my fun. Listen, if that's really where you're at, if that's really what you think about God, then you have a very immature way of thinking of spiritual things. Listen, the truth is, if we really want that blessed life, that, advent, that faith adventure, that love life with the passion and purpose of God going on in our life, let me just tell you something. If we really want that, then the way to get that is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. Jesus said in some translations, it says it this way. If you don't deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to follow me. I mean, think about it. That's discipleship. In other words, I'm following you. I want to be like you. I want to manifest your characteristics and your righteousness and your holiness and your wisdom and your insight and your, uh, and your love and your compassion and your grace. I want that to be manifest in me. The third thing I would like for you to take from this conversation between Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes is this. If we're going to live pur purposefully for God, if we're going to live out of intention for God, in other words, I don't just get up, live my life, and hope God blesses it. That's not the will of God. That's not how we function in the will of God. I know that's how what many of us believe, but that's not the way this works. Well, I go to church. That, that, that's not the way this works. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're living in the will of God. Are you literally, truly submitted to God? And if God was to come to your life today and say, hey, this is the direction you took your life, but here's the direction I would like to take your life. Would you say, okay, God, I'll go the direction you want to go. And if you struggle with that, then, you, you, then you're understanding for the first time what it really means to follow God. And God's not just messing with your life. God's not just trying to rearrange your life or treat you as some kind of, you know, he's like some cosmic uh, 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 kid playing games with your life like you're a toy. No, no, listen. God knows what's best for you because he created you. God knows what's best for you because he had purpose and intention when he created you. And so when we submit our lives to him, we deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him, what happens is he puts us in this path of our best life. He, he puts us in a place where we are fulfilled and where we are willing to be courageous and willing to be brave and willing to enjoy life and love life and all that comes with life simply because God is leading and I'm not leading. God is leading. I mean, the Apostle Paul had been saved for many, many years, filled with the Spirit, preached many messages, had been persecuted many times, but every day he would say in his scripture, he would say, uh, the scriptures that he wrote, he would say, I die daily. He, he said in Gal uh, Galatians, or excuse me, yeah, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, it's not me living in here. It's Jesus living in here. And I'm just doing what Jesus wants to do. Man, there's so much freedom in just saying, God, I submit. God, I do it your way. Let me tell you, that's how culture changes. When we change, the culture will change. When we become more prayerful, things will begin to change. When we become more obedient to the things God wants, the culture will begin to change. Society will begin to change. Listen, the best thing we have as a church is what we do in church online or worship experiences, small groups where we can actually influence people. That's why we need to intentionally be bringing people into the house. We need to be intentionally inviting people to church. We need to be intentionally witnessing and sharing our story. Why? Because it's the will of God that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But sometimes if we're going to live intentionally like that because we face all kinds of different pressures to do it, it's scary. And I'm just going to be honest, it is scary. It's scary to give up yourself. It's scary to give up your way. But we must do it afraid. And that's what we learned from this passage of Scripture. When the time came for Nehemiah to engage the king about his burden, he said, he said, literally, go back and read it. He said, I was very much afraid. 
Nehemiah 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors and buried... Uh, buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? You understand that he is an exile from that nation that has been overthrown by the Medes and Persians. So he's saying to the king of Persia, I'm sad because you destroyed my city. I'm sad because you've allowed it to lay in ruins. So before he said that, he says to us in the narrative, I was very afraid. And here's what we learn. Here's the application. We must have courage to fulfill the will and purpose of God for our lives. Sometimes we have to just do it even if we're afraid. There are going to be times that it doesn't make sense. There will be times when everyone disagrees with us or even makes us feel stupid or out of touch or like we're bad when we stand up for what we know is truth and right in love and in grace. It's in those times that we need bravery and we need courage to do what is right and to press into Jesus and to press on to purpose. Listen, when you're left out of some social circles because you've decided to follow Jesus for real, you need to be courageous and follow anyway. Will you be willing to follow and give up that need to belong to them instead of doing what you know God's called you to do? When you're challenged about your faith, will you be brave and speak the truth of the word in love? When a well-meaning friend says you're being radical, it's just the way things are, and you just need to go with it and get used to it. It's just our culture now. Will you be brave enough to still love them and to still care for them and still be compassionate towards them but to disagree with them? There are times that living for God and doing His will are just not comfortable. And it differs from the way other people think. It feels like we're on the outside. We need to remember we worship Jesus, not culture. We worship Jesus, not people. We worship Jesus, not systems. We worship Jesus, not government. One of the best things to do is to put our lives uh, against the backstop of Jesus' life. I know when we talk about Jesus now, so many people call him a good prophet and they accept him because, they, because there's so many Christians in the world, basically. And they categorize him as one of the great teachers or whatever, but they won't accept him as the Messiah. But the truth is, that's not how Jesus was treated. Are we forgetting that he was executed because, because of what he claimed to be? Are we forgetting that he was not loved? Yes, he had crowds that followed him. People followed him and loved him, and he healed many, and he did many great things. But the truth is, ultimately, people rejected Jesus, and they were harmful to Jesus, and they didn't like Jesus because Jesus challenged them. Now, let me make a disclosure here. I'm not trying to inspire our church to become activists. That's the problem. We, we as a church, the church is not a, a, a political party. The church is not a, a special interest group. The church is not an activist group. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We stand outside of all those things declaring truth into all those things. And we need to understand that it's with love and it's with grace. I'm not trying to inspire anybody to go out and, 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 and be ugly to people claiming to know the truth. That is not what this is. I'm talking about rebuilding. I'm talking about putting our hands to the task. I'm talking about putting our knees on the ground and our faces in the air and our hands up saying, God, we need your help and we need this. This is what we need. And, 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 and I'm believing God is going to do that with us. Remember, when you put your life up against the backdrop, when you're not accepted with certain friends, when you feel the pressure of peer pressure, when you feel like you're not going to be looked at the same way if you live your life full on for Christ, you need to remember what Jesus went through. 
and put yourself up against that backdrop and it will change your perspective for sure. The fourth thing I want you to remember is this. Favor is a result of integrity and consistency. Favor is a result. You know, we want things to change. We want things to happen. We want influence with people of influence so that we can help bring change. It doesn't happen because we shout the loudest. It doesn't happen because we have the most opinions. It doesn't happen because we get somehow mixed up our faith in some kind of political ideology. That's not why it happens. It happens as a result of integrity and consistency. The king was ready to help Nehemiah with his project because of who Nehemiah was and how he related to him. He was consistent. He never complained. Think about this. He was the closest employee to the king, but the king had never seen him sad. Think about that. Consistently, day in and day out, he came into the king's presence and never made a complaint. He was an exile. He was a slave, but he never complained. He was never down. He didn't carry himself, woe is me, or like some kind of victim. No, he stood in the reality of who he knew he was, who his God was, and he was an integrous, he was a, he was a honest, he was, he was a whole person who would come into the presence of the king and consistently be that same person whose words matched their actions. Opportunity for change comes as a direct result of our mouths and lives aligning consistently over time. Our motives and actions matter. And if we never add value and, we may, and, and never make emotional investments and deposits into others, then we are blocking favor for our future. I, I want you to hear me again. When we take a, a, an ugly stand, when we lash out at the world, when we uh, put ourselves in a position where we're not entirely honest or maybe our words say one thing and our actions say another. We say with our mouth, we love you, but our actions show we don't love you. All that does is stop the flow of favor to our lives. All it does is keep us from being able to do and become and make change for the world. The fifth thing I want you to remember and I'm going to close with this, is pray, pray, pray. <laughs> the fifth thing we can take from this is pray, pray, pray. Nehemiah said, before he answered the king's questions, listen, he's, he's, he's given us a little bit of behind the scenes. He's given us a little bit of behind the scenes. He's saying, I was about to answer the king's question, I prayed to God of heaven. Before I answered the king's question, I prayed to the God of heaven. Before I made a decision about what I was going to do about this, I prayed to the God of heaven. Before I asked anything of the king, before I even decided to talk about it with the king, I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, I've heard people say things like, you pray, but I'll go do something. You know, what they're missing is the fact that prayer is doing something. And if you think prayer is just just a Christian's way of avoiding dealing with something, then you are sadly mistaken. I think when we sit around and just say, I believe God's going to do something, I believe God's going to do something, well, maybe that's a, a, an excuse for not doing anything. But prayer is not just waiting around. Prayer is an active, even militant in interaction with the God of heaven to bring His will and His purpose into manifestation in our lives and in our situation. Prayer is doing something. It's the first thing we should do because when we get clear direction, uh, then we know what questions we should ask and we know what steps of actions we should take. And if you really understand prayer, then you understand it is doing something. And it is the best thing you can do. I'm not saying pray and don't act. I'm saying act in prayer first. And then you'll know how to act. That is what Nehemiah teaches us. You know, this series, it just gets in me. I'm stirred. And you could probably tell that. It may seem a little bit different than I have before. But God's doing something in me. And I'm hoping that through this summer, God's going to do something in you. He's going to use our team to together stir us all up that we will find a new fervor 
and a new intentionality and a new purpose in serving God. Let's do this, church. Let's intentionally do the will of God. Let's intentionally turn our lives in the direction of God's purpose and God's will. Let's intentionally say, I'm not ever anymore going to just live my life and say, God, please bless it. But I'm going to say, God, I want to do your will because I know it's blessed. And I believe this is going to awaken a spirit of prayer in us, church. Prayer is doing something. Prayer changes things. Prayer and fasting aligns things spiritually for us to be able to accomplish things we never thought we could accomplish. Because it's not man's ability. It's not man's actions. It's not man's activism that changes anything. It's the graciousness and the goodness of God. And we tap into that by praying, praying, praying praying in Jesus name thank you for listening to that word today and I want to encourage you if you don't know Jesus I want you to connect with a pastor or leader at church online and you can see the directions of how to do that and I want you to know listen I want you to know they'll be there for you and if you need to take that step to make a decision to follow Christ, do it. Do it today. Don't wait. God has purpose for your life. He has good things for your life. Come on, don't wait. Do it. And for the rest of us believers, come on, let's get that understanding of what it means to really follow Christ. That I wake up every morning and I say, God, this isn't my day. This isn't the day that I, that I have made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. No, this is the day you have made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day you had a plan for me, and I want to follow it to the T. This is the day that I need to deny my feelings and deny my selfishness and deny my self-centeredness and just let you lead my life. This is the day, and I'm going to do it today. And let's see what God does. Come on, let's see what God does, church. I bet he changes things. I bet we're going to see walls begin to be rebuilt. And I bet we're going to see lives begin to be restored. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We ask you to bless it. Lord, if I have in any way gotten in the way of you speaking to hearts, just move me out of the way, Lord, and just use this word to touch hearts and to change lives and to minister to people. Lord, let us have that spirit, that attitude of Nehemiah. I'll do it afraid. I'll face the challenges. I will not be mediocre. I will use my influence. I will be the person God created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.